presence can change us forever if we will allow it to. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David and he came unto him and said unto him there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And we'd like to be remembered today as we pray. Just hold your need in your heart. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we come into your great presence, we are so thankful that you're mindful of us. Lord Jesus, we're asking you, take your word and speak to us. Open our hearts. We are very grateful that you have allowed your book called the Bible to be written of true stories, both happy and sad, both the types of stories that make us rejoice and the type that make us repent. We're thankful that it is not fictitious or made up of some people's imagination, but it was you who inspired the authors to write it. We love it. We thank you for it. We ask you to be mindful of the needs today of those that are present. We know we have many that are sick, flu, and flu symptoms, and viruses, and things like that that are going around, but we pray you'd be mindful of your children today, Father. Help me to get out of the way. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The year is 1035 B.C. David is now a middle-aged man, rich, powerful, influential, 
has at least three wives, many children, flocks, herds, quite a palace that he lived in. He has political ties with Egypt, with many of the great kings during this time. He was totally taken off guard, you can imagine, as the prophet Nathan comes to bring this story to him. I don't know how, but somehow he had been able to convince himself for about a year now that he was still okay with God, which is more than I can comprehend. I trust it is you. That a man that loved the Lord so much, a man, the only man that we have recorded in the scripture that says he was a man after God's own heart. Very beautiful and yet unusual title for any mortal to have. But in this stage of his life, he's not that same man. In one way, we look back in retrospect and you're able to see that it was through this lax type of condition in his life, the time when the kings go out to war, and David had not done that. So he was trusting maybe too overconfident, too much looking to the blessing of God and thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a good state right now. Nothing can happen to me. I'm so blessed. The Lord loves me so much. So he enters into this very dangerous time. We know that trials can be so difficult and trials can be devastating. But after looking at when people get into the lax time of their life, they aren't going through trials. I think I prefer trials. Most of the time, the people of God, it was not when they were going through such tests and such trials that they fell away. But it was when they got lax, when they got cold and different, when they were so blessed, as we would say, they were so happy and, you know, they become a little bit loose with their walk with the Lord. And this is where we can see that David was. Now, as we pick up where we were last week, I'm sure that most of you were <clears throat> quite shocked as I was, and I've talked to several this week, and um, by, by text, by email, by WhatsApp, by all types of communication from different people around the world, um, <clears throat> I've come to find out I wasn't the only one that was shocked about David and Bathsheba. Now, in my thinking, I've always thought such grace, such mercy to Bathsheba. But after Sunday, my view has changed somewhat. Now I'm thinking such grace, such mercy to David. And we know that God has no problem in identifying women in sin and calling them out. So it's not that God had some sort of issue in identifying 
Bathsheba and her wrong and in her sin. But as we read the parable again here this morning, if you notice, and I'm sure you did, that God never blamed Bathsheba for any of this. But God identifies her as a you lamb, a lamb. So you would not call a prostitute a lamb. You would not call even Tamar a lamb. You would not identify someone like Rahab, and I hope it doesn't stumble you, but even in the New Testament of carrying over the story of Rahab, both in the book of Hebrews and in the book of James, Rahab is still called a prostitute. Now it's not that the blood coming through the cross did not wipe away her old identity and why the authors chose to still identify her under that name, I can't say that I rightly know. But all I know is that God allowed these women to be part of the genealogy of the human birth of our Savior. And for those of you who study genealogy, I'm sure you know that it was through the son Solomon that God bought part of the genealogy, but not all. You see, God had also pronounced judgment against one of the seed of David because of his idolatry. And God said, not one of his seed was set on my throne. That one was through the lineage of Solomon. But remember, David and Bathsheba had another son. His name was Nathan. Nathan begat children, the genealogy kept coming till we come down to the book of Matthew. Joseph come through Solomon's lineage, but Mary came through Nathan's. Both Joseph and Mary were of the seed of David. Had Mary been of the seed of Solomon, the Lord Jesus could have never been the heir to David's throne. David, remember, God promised him. Friends, this is when sovereignty steps in and overshadows man's ignorance. I'm so glad he's had to do it. He's done it for me. Has he done it for you? So God allowed both Joseph and Mary to be of the genealogy, but yet it was through Mary, read it when you get time, when you read the genealogy there in the book of Matthew and how that Matthew pins it and writes it down of each one of those women and he changes the terminology when he comes to Mary and he says, of whom, of whom Jesus was born, which is called the Christ. God in his sovereignty stepped in and allowed Mary also to come of the genealogy of David that it might be fulfilled. He would fulfill and be of the tribe of David, even call the son of David. Can you imagine God allowing himself to come through a man like David? 
all before last Sunday. We all had no problem with that. I imagine that for many of you, it was the same as it was with me. That to be honest with you, David was one of my favorite heroes of the Old Testament. And I think Hollywood helped shape all of this in us. That we can find it easier to forgive the man than we can the woman. Y'all gonna preach with me or look at me? So for David to be forgiven and David to be, you know, the great giant killer and David the mighty uh, psalmist of Israel and David the harpist and David all of this and that, but to accept the fact that David was a sheep stealer and David was a premeditated murderer. That's hard on our iconic view, isn't it? Now, watch in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. When Adam and Eve had done wrong, notice how God addresses the woman in this wrongdoing. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. Now notice man after the fall. He doesn't take the blame, but in one sense of the word, he blames God for giving her to him. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman. But isn't it amazing when God sends Nathan the prophet, he does not send her to both David and Bathsheba. We have no record that Nathan ever even addresses Bathsheba in this wrong. Wonder why? She was not the aggressor. I hope you can understand it. She was actually innocent. Overpowered by a strong, aggressive leader. Well, praise the Lord. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? So God has no problem in addressing women when they are wrong, right? God has no problem in communicating and even indicting them. So God personally indicted Adam. God personally indicted Eve. And God could speak directly to her. And yet, why does not God do that in the case of David and Bathsheba? Unless the scenario is different. What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. Of course, as we say, both of them are passing the buck until it comes to the serpent and he has nobody to pass it on to. Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings 21, 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth. Whether he has gone down to possess it. You remember the story, but to save time, you read it when you get time. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? 
And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Verse 23. And of Jezebel also spoke the, spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. So God has no problem addressing women as well as men. You agree? So why doesn't God do that in this case? Notice again Paul in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, 6, addressing not a woman just by name, but women in general. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Again, Revelation 17, 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, thee shall hate the whore, which is what we've been dealing with on Wednesday night, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So God has no issues, no qualms whatsoever in addressing either individual women or women as a category or women as it was here, which is Rome. So God surely would have had no problem in addressing Bathsheba had Bathsheba been guilty. But in the parable, the mystery that lays in the parable that Nathan gives to David shows both guilt and innocence. Now, unlike today to where that women are getting more and more of their rights, of course, and I agree that some of them did need more, even coming in the New Testament, we find that Paul, even though many of the people want to call Paul a woman hater, yet Paul actually placed the women of the New Testament in a higher category in Christ Jesus than they ever had in the Old Testament. He wrote more about their liberty in Christ, more about their liberty in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So where these women get that Paul was a woman hater, I don't understand it at all. He was one of the greatest liberators of the New Testament, but not liberators in the sense of sin, but liberators in the sense of the gospel light. So God then would have no problem because he's the same one that anointed Paul. So he gives Nathan this parable and he identifies Bathsheba as what he calls, back again to 2 Samuel 12, 3, the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. So he identifies Uriah the Hittite as being the pastor. Now, notice this, God is going to take a pastoral setting, rather, which was something David would have been able to relate to. And I hope you understand this, that Brother Branham makes this comment, and how can overcome, when he was talking about Lot and Lot's wife. And he said, your pastor is your husband, spiritually speaking. Now, I want you to think of this in this light, then that in the Old Testament scenario, it was in a similar sense that Uriah the Hittite, which was her husband, would have also been her pastor. He would have been the one that would have been leading the flock. Now, he had a small flock. It consisted of his young wife, and it also consisted of children that were still in the home 
that had been brought to the earth in between Uriah and his first wife. So he raised up Bathsheba along with these children. I want you to think of the consequences now that Bathsheba is going to have taken from her. So Bathsheba was not asked, did she want to come to the king's house? She was not asked, did she want to leave her home, her husband? She's now the stepmother of these children. But David is looking at it through eyes of what? Compassion, mercy, servitude to God. He's looking at it through eyes of lust and selfishness. He does not love Bathsheba. He does not love Uriah or love the children that are going to be involved. Now think of it. All of the, the great amount of pain and anxiety. And remember, each one of these women brings something into the kaleidoscope of the Gentile bride. When we look at Tamar, she brought something totally different than did Rahab and did Ruth. And yet we look at Bathsheba, and I hope the Lord will help me to be able to bring it to you, that Bathsheba was not just a one-woman individual alone, but she represented a spectrum of those that would make up the Gentile bride. And she brings something into this genealogical equation that is totally different than the other four women. So she's bringing something into this equation as a person with all types of hurt and all types of anxiety and all types of disappointments in life and thrown into a situation that she did not ask to be there. And yet also an individual that would not let her hurts dominate her life. Bathsheba learned to love again. Bathsheba learned to trust again. Bathsheba had to learn. Can you imagine now she's forced into this situation. She becomes with the child of the king. She did not ask for that. She was taken from her husband. Forced into the king's bed. She was forced from those stepchildren that she had been taken care of, right? By whom? A man of great authority. A man that had she resisted him, he could have had her killed just like he did. Look at the power this man had. Riding, my goodness, Uriah's own death warrant and he carried it back to the commander in chief. Look what authority, as I've said before, God never intended for man to have such power in the first place. So the relationship that Nathan conveys to David, look at the words that he uses, which he bought and nourished up, and it grew together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drink of his own cup, lay in his own bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. So every one of these attributes are attributes of deep kindness and affection. So what's he doing? He's contrasting what David did versus what Uriah did. So everything Uriah did was love, it was tenderness, it was gentleness, it was affection. And what did David do? David come to feed his passion and his lust, which was the stranger that come through. And he did it out of selfishness, out of his own lust, praise the Lord, which was the exact opposite of everything that Uriah had done. 
Notice in verse four, and he said, there came a traveler under the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock. Now here again, he's identifying David as being this rich man, which has many, many flocks. And he identifies the other guy as only having one little small ewe lamb. He says, of his own flock and of his own herd. Now to us, you know, this wouldn't mean very much, but David spent many, many years of his life as a shepherd. He's supposed to be doing the same thing now that he is king. He is a shepherd over God's people. And he said to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took, took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come. Now, what is David fixing to do? David is fixing to divide Uriah's flock. He's fixing to separate Uriah's flock. Now, they were happy. They were just a simple family in Israel, not a great renowned people. Who knows if we'd even know that much about Uriah had this story not come into view. I personally believe it must have been the will of God in time for David and Bathsheba to be together. How that would have come about, I don't have a clue. Because there was a genetic pool that Bathsheba would have added to the lineage of David that was necessary for Solomon and for Nathan and for the other two sons to come through. It was through these four sons that the greatest children that David would ever father would come through. Notice a lot of the other renegades and you see the mother church that they were born from and you see what a difference they were from Bathsheba. Now Bathsheba was not the type of woman that after she was abused by all of this, actually some of the Hebrew writers say David basically raped her. It was, not, it was nothing on her own part. She did not want to do it. And yet a woman that was brought into the economy of God, your first time to be beckoned into the palace of the king, it's against your will. You're talked into doing something which is against the law of God, against your husband, against your own conscience. And yet the king, the greatest man in all of Israel, is the one that forces you to do it. How terrible. Amen. Now I guess my question to some of you today is this. Had you been living in the days of King David, would you all had enough courage to stand for God and to say David is a sheep stealer and David is a murderer? Or would we have said, well, now, you know, um, well, now, well, now what? Well, now. Some of you would have took up for him. You know why? Because you take up for people now that do the same thing. If it's one of your kids or one of your friends or somebody that you like, shame on us for having respect to persons. The Bible calls it sin, friends. Now you imagine there were people in that day that heard about because the word got out that what David had done. And some of them, they were disappointed, they were let down, and no doubt people ain't changed one bit of what they were right then, and some people took up for him, said, well, you know, you're right, he's just an old dog, anyhow, ain't nothing but an old Gentile, sorry outfit, like King David, he's loved of the Lord, he's blessed of the Lord. I may not totally go along with the way they're done, but I'll tell you what the blessing of God's on that man's life. I ain't never heard nobody play that harp like he can play it. I ain't heard nobody, ever heard nobody sing like that man can sing. Have you ever heard anybody write a psalm the way David, Bob, that man's a man of God. God, he, but God said he was wrong. 
Now I want you to listen what kind of impression that Uriah made on your prophet. Brother Bram says it this way, when I get to glory, I want to walk up to Uriah and shake his hands and say, God be praised for your testimony meant something to me in my earthly journey. Is that something or what? Elijah is going to walk up and shake hands with Uriah the Hittite and say, your testimony meant something to me. That's quite a man to me. Is it not to you? Now, notice David then being the aggressor and as he moves into this spot as being the predator. I hate sexual predators. I don't care if they're a preacher. I don't care if they're a king. I don't care if they claim to be a prophet. I don't hate their soul, but I hate that conniving, low-down, evil thing that gets on. And let me tell you, parents, something. In this age of social intercommunication that we have, you better watch your children. You better watch your daughters because we've got prayers, oh my, that love to pray on our teenage daughters and our teenage sons. Well, come on, somebody say amen. Some of you are too trusting in the first place and you know, everything's all right. My boy goes to church. I don't mean one thing to God. Your boy ain't got the Holy Ghost. He ain't no different than David was. Your girl ain't got the Holy Ghost. She ain't no different than anybody else was. Now, whenever we look at this scenario, you know, to be honest with you, I I don't like preaching this about David. Man, he's one of my favorite heroes. I mean, you know, this is the giant killer. This is the bear killer. This is the lion killer. But I've got to add to his resume, he's the Uriah killer. Can great people do stupid things? Great people can, much less us ignoramuses. (laughs) It ain't ain't too astounding to me that crazy people can do crazy things, but what have we done to a lot of these people? We bleached them out. We bleached them out and made them where they were just almost faultless and without fault. We need to take another read in our Bible. I'll tell you, every person that ever steps their feet down the streets of gold, you know how they're gonna get there? The grace of God. Oh my. So David divides this flock, this loving, wonderful, simple little home. Oh my goodness. Notice David the murderer, 2 Samuel eleven fourteen, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set you Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire you from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. Uriah the Hittite died also. Yet when he hears this in parabolic form, he gets so mad. Why? 
It was a nameless story. So if you and I look at scenarios and we don't know who it is, but we just show, that ain't right. Glory to God, I'll tell you one thing. And then we attach a name. And all of a sudden, it totally changes. You need a closer walk with God. Remember, friends, the bride is going to be part of the judgment. We are going to judge angels. Now, let me just paint this so you'll see where I'm going with this. God, God will not tolerate a sheep-stealing king. He will not tolerate a sheep-stealing preacher. Neither will God tolerate a sheep-stealing disease. Do you understand every child of God that deals with cancer, with TB, with pneumonia, with all these diseases, do you understand one day them demons that cause that are going to stand before us and they are going to give an account for trying to steal our life on this earth? I don't want to be no part of them demonic warfare to you because they're going to stand before God. Every devil that's tried to talk you out of your place, every devil that's tried to talk you away from the word of God, one day they're going to stand before you and they are going to be judged and condemned. Now what's David's response in verse five? And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Because the prophet does such a wonderful job in setting this forth, he still don't realize it's him. So David passes judgment, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. Of all the blindness, this is the worst kind because it makes us blind to ourselves. How many's ever been there and done that? And then all of a sudden, the Lord, by his mercy, opens your eyes and you say, Lord, have mercy. It's so easy for us to see the blindness. I wish Brother so-and-so could see. I wish Brother Paul could see how faulty. I wish Brother Aaron could see. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. I wish he could see how faulty. Glory to God, I wish he could be like me. I just wish everybody in the church could be like me. Well, as the pastor, I wish they ain't. I hope they ain't. Now, what's David render the judgment in verse 6? He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Where did he get this now? Because of the way Nathan conveyed it. The rich man was merciless. No pity on this poor man. And David picked it up. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You can imagine where he hears these words. Anybody ever done that besides me? When that old heart goes to pump, 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 and you feel the flush in your cheeks. 
you can feel your blood pressure as it's going up. And all of a sudden, you feel so guilty. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. By coveting, committing adultery, bearing false witness, and killing, he trespasses four of the Ten Commandments. But yet he still remains righteous enough to pronounce a judgment on some nameless character. I cannot imagine the anxiety and the trauma that this man now enters into. David sunk so low that he used the sword of the enemy to kill Uriah. You see, those who have left this message and have blasted the prophet and blasted the bride, that within itself is condemnation enough. But by using the sword of CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox, YouTube, Google. By using the sword of social media to try to kill this bride, they add damnation to their judgment. It would have been bad enough had they done it on their own. But to bring it out... As I saw one of them a few years ago that sat in a local television station there in Louisville and was going to give a little essay of this message and how rotten it was and him formerly sitting at the tabernacle and, and he asked that his identity would be hid and asked that he would sit behind a screen and his face would not be seen because he feared for his life. And I saw that, I saw you coward, you traitor. You better fear for your soul, not your life. There ain't nobody in the message gonna kill a person like that. Ain't nobody in the message gonna get out for him. And yet to do that, to bring all of this on the prophet and his message, come on, saints, so sit there and look at me like that. Don't you see what David done? This is why God, he just kept adding more and more to this sin. Notice in verse nine, wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in thy sight. Now watch again how God is going to lay the blame. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So after he forces himself on her, then he takes her to be his wife. He does not even allow her the 30 days of mourning. Why? He's worried about his own hide. She's gonna start showing. Amen. 
So here David, as he's sharing these words, by now his soul is opened. The sword has penetrated his soul. Let's just say, Nathan can see he's so distraught. His heart rate, his blood pressure, it's affecting him physically. Nathan looks at him and he says, thou shalt not die. That soon, the mercy of God turns David's judgment and God forgives him and releases him from his own penalty of death. Amazing grace. How sweet this sound. God's grace could forgive him, but God's government demands payment. You see, this is something I'm not sure a lot of message folks understand. That whenever they do wrong, that God can forgive them. Yes, he will and he wants to. But you see, when we do wrong, we are sowing seeds. And our repentance does not go out there and dig up all them seeds out of the ground, but it simply pardons us and we won't have to answer on the other side of the veil for them. But we planted that crop and the crop will come up. That's God's government. Now God's mercy can forgive him and God right there, the display of grace come on the scene and he said, thou shalt not die, but the sword will never leave your house. So God accepted the sentence of the fourfold punishment. Now watch this, I put this down so I wouldn't skip over it. So the baby died, Absalom killed Amnon. Joab killed Absalom. Adonijah was killed by Benani. So David reaped fourfold. And that's just the start. Tamar was forced by her half-brother. Absalom tries to take the kingdom, goes into David's concubines out on the roof in public view of everybody. Tamar's life was ruined. David sowed lust. He reaped lust. David sowed murder. He reaped murder. Notice in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Now little friend, David's adultery was a sin of passion. And we know if you know the law, you know even today that many times defense attorneys will try to defend a client 
that has done things and that even the judges and the, you know, all the law understand that there is crimes of passion, a rage, a fit of anger. And someone loses their temper and they kill someone and a defense attorney will try to plead the case that way. And even God in his love understood that David's adultery was a crime of passion. But his murder of Uriah was premeditated murder. Lord God. Oh, Jesus. Notice verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee. Notice God does not say against thee and Bathsheba. I will take thy wives, thy. Notice all of this is personally directed now to King David. I will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. Absalom lived in a house right next door to David. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it in secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I, notice the difference between David and Adam. I just read to you just a few moments ago what Adam said. The woman that thou gavest to me, this is why God could spare David the death penalty. Brother, sister, when you do wrong, the thing is, do you know how to repent? And there's one thing about David, you have to give him credit, the man knew how to repent. Saul did not know how. He blamed this one, he blamed that, but he blamed somebody else. True repentance is a great gift from God. Don't blame your wife, don't blame the pastor, don't blame the children, don't blame the church. Assume your own and ask God to forgive you. Repentance so moves the heart of God. Oh my Lord God. David said unto Nathan, Ah, not her. What if she hadn't been out there taking the mikvah? I would have never seen it. It ain't my fault. Don't blame me. Oh, I love the way he grabs a hold of the heart of God. And that in that moment, the heart of God was moved against a sheep-stealing, murdering king. Praise the Lord. Hmm. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, the Lord also. You imagine that quick. The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Nathan departed into his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife. Notice how God is still calling her Uriah's wife. But Uriah is dead. And David is now married to her. But God's still calling her Uriah's wife. Now this is a bad scenario. 
whether it's a wife or a car or a house or spiritual sheep, God's calling them belonging to another man and you've got them. Uh-huh. Come on now. Notice in verse 18, and it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. As I said earlier, I believe from the genetic makeup and the DNA that Bathsheba, Bathsheba would attributed into mixing with David. God somehow in his plan must have had it that they would be together. Would your eye fulfill his life and David would have met her in a, uh, the right kind of way and they would have been joined together? Maybe that was the will of God. But you know, Satan is so cunning that if he can get a little bit of insight about the program of God, and let me just be honest with you and say, I don't know how much Satan can always see ahead of time, but apparently he can see some things ahead of time. Brother Brown tells us about Brother Richard Blair from Arkansas, and he said that Brother Blair, the devil tried to make Brother Blair doubt Brother Branham and question him. Now, there was a scenario happened that Brother Blair got very, very sick at the point of death and Sister Blair had called Brother Branham on the phone and Brother Branham had prayed for him and the Lord spared his life. And Brother Branham relates this scenario on tape and you can hear it. And he said that the devil knew that Brother Blair was gonna need him. Now, how did the devil know that? I don't know exactly. But it sounds like there are some things that Satan can be able to see in the making and he will try to mess it up as if though it will foil the whole program of God. Does that make sense to you? So then when you look at this, it would have seemed as if though there's no way God would have ever blessed any union between David and Bathsheba. Why? Because Satan messed up the time. It was the right people, but the wrong time in the wrong place. Which is just as much out of the will of God as if it's the wrong people. Now what's this, the prophet and believer's position in Christ. He said the main thing is if we can find where God's word belongs in our life. God sets times and God sets limits, then it works all to that time. Now notice he said God set time and God sets limits, then it all works to that time. So it's not just the will of God alone that we're looking for, but we're looking at the right time. And he said people try to do it within themselves and they try to make God's word fit in their program, but you've got it vice versa. You've got to fit in God's program. And we find that that's true. Now Moses, when he was there, knowing that God had made him a promise, he was going to deliver the children of Israel. Moses, knowing he was called for that purpose, now when you have a call from God, that doesn't altogether mean that you just jump right out and you're doing the will of God. Now listen carefully. You have to find the will of God and the time of God to do it. I may believe Moses was called to be the deliverer. He was called to be the deliverer that God had ordained to send him down there. But Moses jumps ahead of the program of God. Now remember God told them, told Abraham that they would go down and sojourn into a land and be a stranger for 400 years. 
How many knows how many years they stayed? 430. God said 400. Well, where did the 30 years come? Well, it come by Moses and also the people. Moses missed the time of God. How many's ever missed the time of God? Boy, I sure have. Now, people think because they're called to do this or that, the other, whatever it is, as soon as they feel the call and feel God calling them to do something, they feel that's the time to jump right out and go after it. And if you're not careful, you'll get in more trouble than the man who don't even move. Because you may have found the will of God for you as an individual, but you missed the timeline. Now, notice he said Moses thought the children of Israel will understand. They said, you have to find the will of God and the time of God to do it. And Moses thought, well, the children of Israel will understand. Now that I'm to be their deliverer, so he starts out and he killed a man. Now there's no way in the world that you and I believe that God was the one who called Moses to kill the Egyptian. So Moses starts out on his resume a lot like David, so he's a murderer. Now, did God want that on Moses' resume? There ain't no way. How did that come about? He got out of the will of God. He missed the time. How long was it? I don't have a clue. But there must have been an element of time and Satan messed him up on the time frame and caused all of this mess and chaos. Caused the children of God to suffer for 30 more years than necessary. Well, I wish somebody preached with me this morning. Now notice, so he starts out to do it, and he killed a man, and he found out the children of Israel did not understand, yet Moses thought they would understand. What was missing in this whole scenario? The time of God. The time of God. Moses was the right man, and the church said, he was the right man for the hour, but the hour had not yet synchronized quite where it was right, and it enters into a complete mess. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Then Moses lost all hopes. Can you imagine? Moses lost all hopes. The power that he had thinking that the freedom wasn't for the children of Israel. Now Moses gets all discouraged and gets all down on the mouth as we'd say. And he lost all hope that it was even for the children of Israel. Well, God ain't even gonna do it. Well, God must not love them. God don't care for them. And no doubt the devil was turning it around and blaming God in Moses' mind when it wasn't God's fault at all. It was Moses' fault. He lost all thoughts of freedom till God met him one day in a burning bush. And then when God's season came along just exactly, then he revealed his plans to Moses. Now the reason that Moses had forgot about freedom, God's promise that he would free them, but God hadn't forgot about it. Moses tried in himself and failed. So what happened here with David? David got in himself and committed adultery. So David takes Bathsheba to himself, not in love, but in lust. I firmly believe that David and Bathsheba fell in love later. But God never intended for them to be joined together in the birthing canal of lust. Oh my. Moses tried it himself and failed. That's what the church has done many times. We've tried in ourselves to do things and we failed to find God's element of time. 
God has times for a season. He has seasons for his word. He has times in the scripture where it said in the presence of the Lord was there to heal the sick. You're talking about mind-blowing. I want you to listen to this. There was times when the Lord was there to heal the sick. That's where when Jesus was ministering to. You imagine when the Lord Jesus was here ministering to, Jesus had to operate in the season. The Bible says in certain places, Jesus went in and healed them all. And then he went into another place and he couldn't do any uh, mighty miracles because of their unbelief. And the angel would trouble the water when? When the people were ready at the Lord God's pleasure in his season. Maybe that other times the presence of the Lord wasn't there to heal the sick. Wow. The presence of the Lord wasn't there to heal the sick. I'll tell you, friend, I love to sing. I love to shout. I love to have prayer lines. I love all that. But if we're not careful, we're creating another repeat to where we feel like if we don't have a prayer line, God can't move. We feel like every special meeting's got to have a prayer line or God don't move. Come on, don't get quiet on me. If we're not careful, we're going right back around the mountain that we come away from years and years ago. Our God is not going to be told what to do. He's not going to be told how to move. God wants us to follow him, not him follow us. We find out that God works everything seasonally. Seasonally. And now when Moses, when he failed to find, what he failed to find was the time limit of God. And many times we try to do the program ourselves and fail to direct what was in the burning bush. The direct revelation of the will and the time of God. So now here stands David, indicted by God's prophet. David's sin was so rotten, so vile. David could be restored to fellowship, but the judgment must be lived out. Now let me let us look at Bathsheba for a few moments, can we? Try if you can to be able to let her be the sister that she really is. She is the one that They say Proverbs 31 was written about. Who can find the virtuous woman? Ah, so if your mother was a harlot, would you write that about her? If your mother was a prostitute, would you write that she was the model of a virtuous woman? Well, let's look at her realistically. Now, Bathsheba was a victim who suffered from many life-changing situations after that invitation to the palace. She was separated from her husband as being a military wife. So she's already dealing with that whenever David beckons her to the palace. So she's already suffering with loneliness trying to raise the children. She then deals with being forced upon by the king. The king taking advantage of her. Then she deals with grieving over a murdered spouse. 
Then she deals with dealing with being pregnant with the king's baby and being pregnant as a widow. Wonder why we ain't thought of these things before. But we've bleached out King David and made him the great mighty conqueror and then just put this rotten sorry woman back there in the hog pen where she belongs. I think we need to move her from the hog pen. Now, if this wasn't bad enough, now she is called into the king and the king takes her to be his wife. And by the way, the Bible does not tell us that she even wanted to be. Oh, my goodness. So, she makes this transition. Now, can you imagine you're you're married to this man one day and then a week from now, this man here marries you and you're married to him. Now, what happened to those children, those stepchildren? Uriah was dead. She is now brought out of that house into the palace of the king. What happens to those children? Do you honestly think David even cared? The epitome of selfishness. How rotten, how devastating selfishness is. Come on now, saints. Can we dare to look at David as he was? Some of you can, some of you can't. Well, I'm gonna be real brave this morning and I'm gonna look at him the way he was because I wanna see the grace of God the way I've never seen it in my life. So she now becomes his fourth wife. She loses this baby. Oh my. Not only that, now she starts a new future. She is King David's wife. Her children, I put these things down, let me just read them off to you. Her future children will be raised within a context of sexual misconduct, manipulation, competition, cover-up, and violence. Welcome to the family of King David. Let me read them to you again. Sexual misconduct, manipulation, competition, cover-up, and violence. Now, can you imagine? You got four wives. They've all got young'uns. And every one of them thinks hers is, you know, it's the very best. This needs to be the king. This needs to be in charge of the music. This needs to be the service leader. This one here needs to be the deacon. That's the way folks want to run a church, you know. This is the way it ought to be, and this one ought to do that. Can you imagine four women, and they're all telling you that their son is the greatest. He's the brightest. He's the most brilliant. And we can see as they grow older that they go to vying for the competition of who's going to be king. And you remember the story of Adonijah, of course, before David is now old and before David ever declares who the heir is. Adonijah begins to pull men away and he begins to start in saying that he is the king. The revolt has started. So her, her little life that she had back there by herself with her and her little Uriah husband that she loved so much and he loved her. Look, what woman would not want that kind of a husband? 
When you read of your life the way he loved this woman and the way he treated her, putting her up on a pedestal as it was, he nourished her, he loved her, he cared for her so much. What woman should actually be out of her mind to not love such a man? There is no way that this woman broke off all that love, all that feelings, all that emotion that she had for this husband which was her hero and now she's supposed to fall in love with a man who forced himself on her? But we just read through the Bible sometimes and we omit so much pain. We read through the Bible and admit so much suffering. Oh, I'm telling you, friend, nobody is so tried as the bride of Christ. There's so much suffering, there's so much anxiety, there's so much pain that's hidden between the verses of these Bible characters and we read right over the top of them. Because we all prefer the sling stories. We prefer the sword cutting the head off and the gory blood and all that sort of thing. What about the people sitting back crying because they're caught in situations they never asked for? Some of you sitting right here today are still dealing with trauma and things in your life that happened to you when you were children. Things that you have dealt with. Things that people did to you. Believe me, I know myself. But what are we going to do with it? Bathsheba is such an example of one that dealt with so much pain, so much trauma, so much anxiety, so much that was forced upon her by others, not by her own choice, but she refused to let it mold her in a negative way. I hope you understand this. Her husband had the reputation of being a man after God's own heart. After I've been studying about her for the last several weeks, I just kind of renamed her for my own sake this morning and called her a woman after God's own heart. Read about her in Proverbs 31 and see what a woman she became. Read what a woman she was in so much that when King Solomon come in and he sat down on his throne and his mother come into the court and she said she had a petition to lay before him and the king of Israel gets up off of his throne and bows and pays obeisance to his mother and causes for a throne to be made for his mother and sets her at his own right hand. A woman who refused to let her negative circumstances make her negative all her life, but allowed God to mold in her a chapter Bible, chapter in the Bible rather, that many of you sisters have read and desire to be your model. It's from there that I took my text when I preached Sister Karen Pure's funeral. And oh my, the women, the daughters of God, would many of you ever thought that was Bathsheba. If I was you, I wouldn't let Satan ride off your life. 
I wouldn't let your parents write it off. Nor your friends. And last and most important of all, I wouldn't let you write it off. But if you knew my track record, so you want to compare it to David's today? Any of you want to stand and say I've done as bad or worse? And yet the Lord God chose when he come to the earth to come down through that and be called the son of David. Remember all through the New Testament, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy. He said, turn around, don't call me no adulterer's son. Don't call me no. Even in the millennium when he sits on the throne, he will be called the son of David. Amazing grace, how sweet to sound. Hallelujah. To the other women of David, no. One that was so hurt, one that had so many scars, so many issues, but she refused to let those things shape her. Instead, she became a woman after God's own heart. So notable that Solomon mentions his mother over and over and over again through the book of Proverbs. Forget not the instruction of thy mother or the instruction of thy father and the wisdom and the teaching of thy mother. How could you do that if your mother was a whore, a prostitute? So the world let them look down at us, let them make fun. But one day when they walk before the throne of the Lord God, they will see surrounding that throne is the makeup of a Ruth, a Rahab, a Bathsheba, a Tamar, and the fifth, a Mary. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's stand together. I can imagine that Bathsheba, like many of us, Myself having dealt with many people who've dealt with abuse, whether it's sexual abuse or psychological abuse, verbal abuse, there's many types of abuse. Many times the innocent person is the one who feels so guilty. Though they were the one preyed upon. Many times them sorry outfits that prey upon them or scare them. You better not do this. You better not tell nobody. You better not this, that, the other. And somehow they feel themselves that it's their fault. I wonder if Bathsheba put it over her mind over and over again. Oh, if I hadn't have taken that mikvah, that ceremonial bath, maybe if I'd have done it earlier, maybe if I'd have done it later, maybe if I'd have done it the day before, the day after. That's generally the mentality of a victim. That they look at themselves, what did I do? Which works on what? Their self-esteem. And they look at themselves as unworthy. Unworthy of favor, unworthy of grace, 
unworthy of mercy. So they get around good people, what they call good people. People that wasn't like they were. And they say, oh, I'm not good. I'm not as good as them. I'm not as good as them people. I'll never be nothing. I'll never amount to anything. I'm worthy to be treated bad. I'm No, you're not. The Lord Jesus loves you so much. Having been a victim myself of abuse, I can tell you some pain. I can tell you some anxiety. Having been a victim of being abused by preachers, lied on, used, made fun of, I went and preached meetings for preachers and them asked me for the offering. So what'd you do? I'd give it to them, of course. And went and preached other meetings and when I get home, the preacher would write me a letter and say, my wife said, I'm, I'm worth about $1,000 a month, so could you care to send me part of the offering? Preachers. So when people come to me with their little bit flimsy excuse they got hurt by one and they don't want to believe in preachers no more, I'm sorry it takes a little bit more than that to be able to excuse you for me because believe me, I've been lied to. Uh I've been treated, I've been used, abused, but I still believe God's got men that are sincere, that love him, that love his people. Right? Don't you? That's right. I refuse. Brother, don't you still deal with some of that stuff? Uh Uh-huh. I sure do. I'll probably have to deal with it until one day the sweep comes over me. Yeah. But I refuse to allow it to dominate me. Do I fight the thing that the only reason, Brother Donnie, that people call you and contact you is you because they want money? Yeah. I get it all the time, sometimes daily. We need help with this. We need $10,000. We need $20,000. We need this. We need a new car. We need a new microphone. We need a new PA system. And I think, if I didn't help people, would anybody even know my name? Would they even care a thing about me? Sure, that's stuff we have to deal with. I'm just being honest with you. Who's next? But I refuse to let that dominate me. So does that stop you from giving? What do you think? No. Well, I've been hurt. I can't trust nobody. I can't. So you're going to let that dominate you, are you? If you ever get to heaven, it'll be because you were led by men. You were encouraged by men. You were helped by men. You were preached to a new birth by men. You were preached to the baptism of the Holy Ghost by men. You were preached into rapturing faith by men. You reached a body change by men. You say, why? Because that's God's way. That's God's way. Hallelujah. So Bathsheba, you can take your hurts, your pain, your anxiety, Go way back in a little room. Shut the door. Have nothing to do with nobody. Have no confidence in nobody. 
and just stay home the rest of your life and play tapes. I'll never be hurt by a preacher gun. I'll never be hurt. I'm just going to stay home and play tapes the rest of my life. And the person that's being hurt the worst by that is you. Is you. Or you can venture out and love again and trust. Carolyn, I said at a funeral a few years ago of my aunt in Kentucky. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a man coming up on a walker. As I looked at the side of his face, I realized who it was. The preacher that molested me. Cold sweat popped out on my face. I felt my face flushing. Carol could feel it. She's sitting right by me. She grabbed me by the hand. You okay? You okay? I said, yeah, let's pray for me. Pray for me. Humanly, I wanted to grab up, walk up to that man and grab that walker and beat him over the head with it. Why? Still, the scars, the pain. But Jesus inside of me raised up. And I felt the sweat stop. And I felt the color of my skin change. And my ears were burning and they got cooled off. And Brother David, I looked at him. And what I felt was sorry for him. And it wasn't a fitting place or I would have danced. Most of the people there knew me anyway. They had already been eyeing me, you know. I, can't, I just can't describe to you how I felt. Because, Brother Joel, I realized the Lord Jesus had helped me. I was glad I was able to see that man because it had been years and years since I'd seen him. I wasn't quite sure how I would react. But I was so happy the way the King of Kings reacted in me. No doubt I would have been ashamed of the way I'd have acted. But I was not ashamed of the way my king acted. What about it today, friends? We come in our lives to make up the kaleidoscope of the making of the Gentile bride. Some of you were like Rahab. Some of you maybe like Tamar. There may be a few of you that's like Mary. If they are, I'd personally like to be able to shake your hand after church. <laughs> since, since apparently I don't know any of you all that, <laughs> that make up our church. But I wonder how many of us will be like Bathsheba. So hurt, so scarred, so wounded. But we refuse to let our past dictate to us our future. You remember when the prophet went overseas and he missed God and listened to preachers instead of listening to the Lord and he picked up the amoeba and he come back and he thought he was going to die. He got up early one morning run a bathtub full of water, running a fever and going through all these different signs of the amoeba. And he saw a vision appear before him. And a heavenly being took pieces of paper, like sheets of paper, in his hand. 
and he threw those pieces of paper up toward the sky and it made a pass up into the sky and he said, your past or your future before you is clear. He said, friends, you cannot imagine how I felt. Why? Because the Lord had forgiven him. He was scared to death. Oh, he always wanted to go back to Africa again. Got to go in 65, couldn't preach. He always wanted to redeem himself from that. That's the way we are. Our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings. Somehow we want to go back and do it again, but you know what? We might as well face facts. Some of it we'll never be able to do. All we can do as David did, commit it into the hands of God. So God takes their first child, and the Bible says, Nathan come to David and said, go into your wife and comfort her. So David comforted his wife, and she brought forth a son and called his name Peace, Solomon. But the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to them and called his name Jedidiah. Beloved of the Lord. And put his own name, Yah, in that name, Jedediah. From the same woman that was so broken hearted. So maybe it's time for you to be comforted by your husband. The Lord Jesus. To woo away your anxiety and all your burdens and all your trauma of your past. And let you and him be able to produce a man of peace. Solomon. You already know it, but the name Shulamite from the Song of Solomon is the feminish form of Solomon. So the Song of Solomon is about Mr. and Mrs. Solomon. Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ. Can we bow our heads together? I wonder how many today would like to be remembered as we go before the Lord. God bless you, your need, your past, your present. Maybe some of it's not so much your past that you're dealing with things. It's just where you are now. Things got a hold of you and you hate it. You've tried your best to shake it, but you just can't can't stand yourself. You can't stand where you are. Let him be the God of your present tense. What about it, Bathsheba? You bring all the hurt, the anxiety, the pain. You can't trust David. You can't trust the man that sent to get him. You can't trust this one, that one, the other one. And yet this man asks you to be a part of him with a union takes you to yourself. Don't even let you grieve for your child or your husband. You're a widow and you're with child. How are you going to raise that child? Who's going to be there to help you? Hallelujah. Or can you cast all of that in the hands of the Lord Jesus? Those of you that are preacher hurt, those of you who have been hurt by this and that and the other, bring it all to God. Look, friends, don't make me or any other man. Don't put no man to be your idol. All men will fail you. There's only one that you can look at as your ultimate example, 
And that's the Lord Jesus. He's the only one that will not fail you. Heavenly Fathers, we open up ourselves to you today. Oh, Jesus. It's painful for me to mention some of these things, Lord. There's no doubt some of them stand there. and I see it on their faces, their expression, as they mince a frown and their corner of their mouth will twist up and a wrinkle will come on it. It's because the very thought of their past causes the dendrites in their brain to release hormones. Oh God, we all carry our baggage. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Oh, Father, we bring all we are today. All our hurts, all our anxieties, some self-inflicted, some inflicted by others. We bring them all to you. Lord God, I pray, may we become the type of woman, spiritually speaking, that as your bride, the bride of Christ can spiritually reflect Proverbs 31. Unlike the woman of Revelation 17, help us, Lord, to see that woman is so different, but who can find a virtuous woman? And there are no virtuous people on the earth, and the only way you could even find one, you couldn't find one either. So what you had to do was make one. So you placed the seed inside the soul and waited till the right moment in time for that seed to be quickened. Then Lord God, under that quickening, which was our new birth, then that person never done it in the first place. That's why that we are the virtuous, sinless bride of Jesus Christ. Oh, we can still remember those things, but our seed can't because it never done it. Our sin was under that old nature. That nature, that old husband that passed away and died. Praise God. So justification under the opening of the seventh seal is not that we get forgiveness and we try to patch up that old man and try to live with that memory. But under the opening of the seventh seal, We never did it. Hallelujah. The Lamb takes the book of our life and strikes off the seal and calls our seed to birth. Praise the Lord. Help us, Jesus. Father, may you bring healing today. Not only to those in the visible audience, but those that have streamed, those around the world that will hear it, Lord. We've been called to the palace, but like Bathsheba, many of us have brought baggage to the palace. Oh, David fell in love with her looks. The Bible doesn't even say he knew anything about who she was or in love with her as a person, but her looks. So here she comes to the palace, a broken-hearted 
pregnant widow. She had to leave her stepchildren. David did not want them there. So she comes with all this baggage. But little by little, she become a woman after God's own heart. In the midst of that chaos, she found out God had a purpose for her. Not only to be the wife of the king, but in another time, be the mother of the king. Hallelujah. The only woman that we have in the Bible that would gain that position in that same way to become the queen mother. Oh, Jesus, we entered into your courts ashamed. We entered into your courts with a baggage of sin and a load of memories. But may we hear the voice of the king as he hears us. See, we hear him say, come, my queen. Come, my queen. Let me comfort you. Oh, my Lord, how will you comfort me? How will you bring comfort to my heart? I will give you my seed. You shall bear my seed. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. For we know through the Gentile bride will usher in the millennium. The birth of the millennium comes through the consummation of the bride. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. When the bride is carried away, the next great thing that takes place on the earth and Father in the honor of the glory of God is the millennium. It will be produced after Christ and the bride are united together. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, take us, Lord. Wash us, cleanse us, purge us, Father, I pray. Hallelujah. Anybody willing to raise your hand to the Lord? Just bring all your baggage, your memories, your past, your present. What about your future? Don't just give God your past. Give Him your future. You young people, don't take your teens, don't take your 20s, give it to the devil and say, I'll wait till I'm 40 years old. You may not live to walk outside this door. Give him everything, your past, your present, your future. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Father God. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just keep our hands up there in the presence of the Lord now. He knows exactly what each one of you need. You're streaming from home. He knows what you need. Healing in your body. Healing in your spirit. Maybe you just need to unload a bunch of your baggage. Whatever you need. Jesus is mindful of you. Hallelujah. Oh, don't think that he's going to give you according to how good you are and how good you pass is. No. If he gives us according to that, we won't, none of us get very much. But let him give to us what he deems us worthy to receive. Amen. Of his mercy, of his goodness. For this is the way he looks at you in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Oh, praise be to God. Hallelujah. Little brides, you're washed. You're cleansed. You're sanctified. You're forgiven. If you're not, repent right here this morning. You got something in your life you need to repent of, do it right now. And as fast as God forgave David, God can forgive you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. We bless your name, Father. You imagine as Bathsheba would walk through the palace and she would look at the full-length mirror that would be before her made of burnished brass, not glass the way we have today. Pick up the mirror off of her table and look at herself and think, who am I? What am I doing here? Look at my entrance into the king of the court under justification and condemnation. But now I am the king's wife. Maybe your entrance into his presence was condemnation. The preacher preached right at you. You think, Lord, have mercy. There ain't no hope for me. But the mercy of God reached and grabbed a hold of you and forgive you. Now you're in the courts of the king. You're his favorite wife. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it Sing it to him now. That bought my liberty. Oh, I do not know just why he came to love us so. All our seed, everybody. Oh, I shall for lift mine eyes to Calvary. To view the where Jesus died. Lord, my fall and song, everybody, oh, let's raise our hands as we sing it, I shall forever live, oh, sing it to him, Bathsheba, sing it to him, Rahab, sing it to him, Tamar, hallelujah, to view the Died for you and me. 
Thank you, Lord God. How marvelous. How marvelous, Lord God. My falling soul, he looked beyond all my fault and saw my seed. I shall forever, I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where King Jesus died Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you day, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. Thank you, Father. Oh, friends, what kind of a, what kind of a mighty God are we serving? Now, be honest with me. If you had this in your genealogy, one of them was a woman who dressed like a prostitute so she could deceive her father-in-law to become a child with him. Another one was a known prostitute. The other one, the king of, uh, the king of Moab was your father, Eglon, and you were a Moabitess. You was a priestess to Chemosh. You offered living children to Chemosh as a sacrifice. Then you've got Bathsheba. Would you have a problem in people knowing? Well, yeah, my aunt was a prostitute. And uh, my, my aunt before her, uh, she was, we wouldn't hardly want nobody to know that, would we? But the Lord Jesus allowed this to be in his patronage, his genealogy. Why? So the people who would need him as a savior would be able to look at where he come from and said, if that was in the natural family tree, surely he won't have no problem saving me. So who are we really? Sinners. Sinners, that's what we were. Saved by the grace of God. God bless you. Aren't you happy to be a part of the family of God? Why don't you turn around and tell somebody, I'm so happy to be a part of the family of God today. Sing something. I'm so happy to be part of the family of God. I'm happy to be part of you. I'm happy to be part of you, Brother Joel Brown. I'm happy to be part of you, my brothers and sisters. I can't wait for us to get to eternity together where we'll be able to spend all of our time as we would count time. 
there together in his presence, worshiping him forever and forever. Don't you love him? Amen. Brother Matt Carter turned this in. Thank you for praying for my sister, Dorothy. She came through her cancer surgery fine. The doctor says he got it all. Continue to pray for her. She has a bad cough. To God be the glory. Thank the Lord. We're so grateful for that. Also, I'd like to mention something to you. We had some curving people to come up over at the church to be able to uh, curb the parking lot. Somehow or another, they got mad and left. Now, it wasn't my fault this time. I never said nothing to them. Anyway, um, they're supposed to be back tomorrow, so pray they will be. Uh, if we can get the curbing done and we've got the base coat of the asphalt down, the foreman said if we can get the curbing done, get the dirt in there, get the trees and all that sort of thing, hopefully they'll give us a certificate of occupancy for the fellowship hall and we'll be able to have church in there. I'm grateful for the Holiday Inn, but it ain't ours. We want to move to our new home, don't we? So pray for us that that'll work out. I believe if God can move on heathen kings, God can move on heathen blacktoppers. I'm of this opinion. There will be some people in construction that will be saved. God will do it to prove to the devil it could be done. Or any other occupation where it's predominantly liars. Car salesmen, insurance salesmen, and preachers. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. Go in the fear of God. Enjoy this beautiful day. Father, it's been so good to be together today. Thank you for this great love story that we've heard once again, just another angle of a slowly unfolded mystery. May we go ruminate on it, meditate upon it. May we, each of us, totally commit our lives to you in such a way we are now, we believe, beckoned into the spiritual house of God, your palace. Take us, Lord. Use us for your honor, for your glory. We pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, we cry.
we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We Jesus, we cry. 